0: Support for WABE comes from Capital Good Fund, introducing Georgia Bright Solar Lease Program, a new rooftop solar initiative designed to create pathways to equitable and inclusive solar, sustainability, and monthly savings for Georgians. Learn more at georgiabright.org.
1: Georgia's legislature lurched to its close for the year, so as the old saying goes, it's all over but the shouting. But fear not, there's plenty of shouting about everything from abortion to the new election machines to medical marijuana. And the Gold Dome isn't even the only place where voices are raised, so we bring some calmer ones to this new edition of The Political Breakfast. It's a pleasure to have you with us. I'm Dennis O'Hare. Brian Robinson is back. He's a Republican strategist, communications consultant, and former deputy chief of staff to former Governor Nathan Deal. Theron Johnson is off this week on some happy personal business. Joining us this time, Michael Owens, who is the immediate past chairman of the Cobb County Democrats.
0: Welcome to both of you. Hey, and welcome to the four other people in Atlanta who aren't at the beach this week.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's, that's good. Hi. Nice to be here, Dennis. Great to have you. Let's start with where we go from here on some of the big issues that were settled or not during the legislative session. Of course, the abortion bill has gotten nationwide and even international attention now. Michael Owens, I'm going to start with you. This would ban abortions in the state after six weeks of pregnancy. Current law sets it at about 20. There are still some exceptions for rape, incest, or danger to the life of a mother. Democrats didn't just oppose the bill. They told Republicans, suburban Republicans especially, "We're coming for your seats." Is this a winning strategy, though? Whatever one thinks about abortion, is this a winning strategy to say this is the issue for which we are coming after your seats in the suburbs? Ultimately, yes. I think it will prove to be a winning strategy. But I don't.
2: I don't want to just take it in isolation in itself. Mm-hmm. About this, what it's done is it's it's pitted our largest growing block of voters, volunteers, and activists squarely against those who are in those suburban seats that we're talking about, right? And I clearly mean that the women that we have within the Democratic Party, who we've seen over the last couple of cycles, really kind of come to life when getting engaged and involved in Democratic politics. And they're calling out their uh, representatives, many of whom are are white male Republicans. Mm -hmm. So
1: it it kind of diametrically opposes, puts them in stark contrast of each other. But many suburban Republican women are anti-abortion and many are pro-choice i mean the suburban republican women are not a block when it comes to this issue you're exactly
2: right they're not a block but this has a lot just as much to do in some instances with the freedom of choice when it comes to women and women's reproductive health and it starts to take on this connotation of men deciding what's best for women and in 2019 that's just a very hard argument to make outside of the connotation of abortion itself
0: I hear you. And that's not the way that people who voted yes on this bill approach it. I do think that there is respect and understanding of the viewpoints of the opponents of the bill and of women in Georgia. They do also think, and we know more and more as technology has evolved, that there is a human life involved. And that is the trickiness of the Democratic argument, I think, is they've got to argue or talk around the fact that we're discussing a human life.
1: Is this. Not t- all of the doctors who oppose the bill, though, agree that at six weeks, what we're talking is about true. is a human life.
0: And I, again, can understand and respect those viewpoints. Obviously, I'm not a medical professional. I am a dad who saw ultrasound pictures mm-hmm. very, very early on. And I saw my daughter's little head, you know, when she was the size of a fingernail. And that does something to you emotionally beyond the facts of the case. I know what I saw. And Republican legislators, particularly those in suburban areas or in town areas in Atlanta, and even in other parts like around Athens, really struggled with this. They knew politically it was tough. But I had one legislator say to me, look, if I'm going to go out, if I'm going to get beat, at least I went out standing up for innocent life, standing up for the sanctity of life, standing up for babies. And I think that was a stand on principle for many of them. It's not one of the issues that's always about politics. For some folks this is a matter of principle. Now will there be political repercussions? Yeah, very, very possibly, particularly in the suburban areas. One thing that we've got here is this is this shows kind of the divide between the rural and and urban and suburban Republicans in the state. Is it's very factionalized. They approach the world very differently. And their constituencies approach the world very differently. And this is one of those cleavages within the caucuses, even though the caucuses largely held and voted for this. So it's going to have a repercussion politically, certainly. But I think really good political minds think that An issue like this, a vote like this is not what's going to determine the reelection of members in the General Assembly. It's all going to be driven next year by do you like Donald Trump or do you like the Democratic nominee for president? And that nobody who votes for this abortion bill is going to lose, lose the vote of somebody going in to vote for Trump. I would partially agree with that. But the difference is going
2: to be and and you, you can you can make a very heartfelt plea on behalf of unborn children we saw emotional speeches on both both sides sides. I was going to say on both sides we we heard very emotional speeches that was delivered very personal intimate conversations that were brought to the forefront but Dennis's point around do we think that this is going to have an issue I think what you found is going back to my main point this bill has motivated women because if you, if you even look at what was said, it's about trust women, you know, because here again, there's another male saying what is right or wrong to do with a woman and her choice about what to do with her body. And I think that's going to be a deciding factor. And if that gets more women engaged and involved and they make that linkage between this bill and Donald Trump, that's just another option or another motivator, another driver that women are going to have to go out and and get off of that fence potentially, or women who have historically voted more Republican to decide this is the time where they take a stance inside with Democrats.
1: Brian Hollywood came to the Capitol. Alyssa sort of. Milano came sort of. uh, and had a little rally there opposing the bill. And Hollywood has been welcomed in that Capitol before by your old boss Nathan Deal when he was governor. So. Certainly, Brian Kemp, the current governor, came out and said, "Look, we're not going to have Hollywood tell us what to do." Right. But how far can they push that when they have openly welcomed Hollywood? There have been Hollywood figures in the Capitol when the tax breaks went through, and they
0: were welcomed. So, can you say, "Well, you're not welcome here when you want to oppose a bill"? No one's saying they're not welcome. Alyssa Milano, what I would point out, is not a Georgian, which was a a point. That no, the, but her that the governor's clearly her project is with. shot here. Sure, she's not a Georgian, she doesn't vote here. Now, but even then no one said you do not have a right and you are not welcome to come here and speak at our capital. Not at all. Uh, she is more than welcome. And it may say as a side note and a personal side note, she was my first ever TV crush when I was <laughs> a little boy, when she was on Who's the Boss? And, I, and you know, and that, we learned so much on this podcast and, and that, you know, you don't forget that uh, as a boy. Uh, Winnie Cooper from Winter Years was number two. <laughs> and so she still has that certain power with me. But let's. Look beyond her as a Hollywood figure. She is a Democratic activist, is what she is, Mm -hmm. who uses her platform. Well, she sat
1: behind Brett Kavanaugh during his confirmation hearing.
0: And she was offering rides to the polls in the 6th Congressional District special election in 2017 for people who would vote for John Ossoff. So she has been involved in Democratic politics in Georgia for some time. Every industry in this state has the right to raise their voices. Who else did it this session? Delta Airlines mm-hmm. and the sure. other other airlines sure. fighting for the jet fuel exemption. And, and most times, big voices like Delta, our largest private employer, by the way, get what they want because they're important to the state and, we're, and they're respected here, beloved here. But they didn't get what they wanted this time. And I think Kemp is right to say – we respect your opinion. We're going to hear your opinion. We're not going to do everything you want on everything. And I think that's the right way to approach it. You know, Nathan Deal, who is seen as very business friendly, made Georgia number one for business, famously vetoed the RIFRA Bill, even though he is a social conservative, because he wanted to maintain the business climate. But he also said in his last year in office... I'm not in the business of telling Hollywood what kind of movies to make, and they don't need to be in the business of telling us what kind of laws we need in Georgia. Michael, does that raise
1: a question for Democrats? Because even though Democrats were visible in the hallways for much of the debate on the heartbeat bill, they didn't exactly flock around Alyssa Milano when she showed up. So how closely do they want to affiliate themselves with threats from Hollywood or some in Hollywood anyway to say we'll pull our business out?
2: There were Democrats that was there, and, and, and I saw the the press conference that she did. But this is a situation where Republicans are, are pitting themselves against themselves, their own interests here. To me, Governor Kemp has a lot to learn from Governor Deal about how to handle this and understanding that if you want to continue to be the number one state in the country to do business in, you're going to have to understand what those business drivers are. And it doesn't mean you capitulate to them. But one quote that I noticed that Governor Kemp made when he said that uh, he can't govern because he's worried about someone in Hollywood thinks about him. Mm-hmm. OK, so he's making this. And Alyssa Milano, as, as much as you, you may have liked her or still likes her, um, she's not one person she is representative in some extent to a large part of the industry that is also one of the largest drivers now to business in the state of Georgia. So you're not gonna have all those great films come through with that little peach at the end of the credits if those people that are under contract and those people that actually want to do business in Georgia decide that they are no longer gonna come here. But will they? I think that's where the pressure starts to mount, right? And I think that's where as governor, Brian Kemp has to go, how much leverage do I have? And do I understand that uh, that this could be a very contentious time? Because look, it's not just the movie studios. Although you know the movie studios continue to grow, there's also service industries that come along with that, and it's an entire cottage industry, multi-billion-dollar industry, and that we know that uh, in order for this to continue to grow, which is doing great, I think people on both sides of the aisle like the fact. Of that, and uh, Brian Kemp's going to have to decide whether you know he's going to be in direct opposition to that or not, regardless of what bill that is.
1: Real quickly, let's move to a bill that the governor signed, the voting machine bill, if you will, an overhaul of the state's election system. It was much debated, but it is now signed into law. Still, some specifics not quite clear here, Brian. Exactly how it would be set up? Would we get it done in time? And the request for proposals, the solicitation of bids from companies went out even before the bill was signed, which again raised questions because of some of the ties that the governor's current staffers had formerly with one of the companies involved.
0: Yeah. And one thing I would like to kind of cut through the clutter on there, and I don't know the answer to this, but it was the secretary of state, Brad Raffensperger, who put out the request for proposals, not the governor's office, right. where there is that. Alleged conflict of interest because of one of the senior staffers having a contract previously with one of the vendors. So I think one of the reasons why you saw that RFP go out so early is because of the The time pressure that you are discussing here. These have got to be in place next year, and not only in place and manufactured and built to the specifications that we need, the numbers that we need in such a large state. There's also going to be a bit of a transition period in educating Georgia voters on how to use these machines. There's going to be a bit of a learning curve there. We had it 20 years ago when Mm -hmm. then-Secretary of State Kathy Cox implemented the machines that we're using today. So there's a rush to get this done because it's got to get done in a rush.
1: And is that a problem for Republicans and the Secretary of State, the current one, Brad Raffensperger?
0: It's a problem if we've got serious voting issues next year. And it's one of those things where you only get attention and coverage if there's a problem. Uh, you know, if, if the Secretary of State and the governor's office deliver this perfectly, do a great job, no one's, no one's ever going to applaud, right, even though they perhaps deserve it. Michael, let me quickly pose a question then for
1: Democrats, because they have raised the issue of machines that aren't reliable, voter suppression, etc. Is it time, though, for them to move on from that as these systems get into place, or could continuing this battle strategically anyway make it tougher to get them done right and get them in place in time for an election, which Democrats have a huge stake? Sure. I, I don't. I don't think you have to be.
2: And obstructionist in nature, in in order to get it done. I think you know this nefarious activity of of what's being seen as serious issues with voter election integrity goes even as far as some people talking about voter suppression. And now I think the the problem is you're saying, hey, if if there's not a problem, you know, and it's not accurate. The problem is. People want to feel comfortable and confident about the accuracy of the results. So the rolling out and the education, all that is part and parcel of what must be done. It's really like a large IT project is what this is going to turn into. And that could be successful, completely successful, but the concern will still be, are the results accurate? Are these elections Demo- that we can actually trust? And that's what will keep Democrats engaged and involved through this. You know, the whole idea around, well, the, an RFP went out beforehand and there's some Backroom handshaking about what what solution gets used. I think the real issue is are we able to trust and have verifiable results from the election and that's where I think the real angst is and if I was to say one thing around this and, and really take the Democrat Republican concerns and put them together. I think we really have to talk about the security of the ecosystem of voting as a whole in this state and how we're doing it. But can
1: Democrats successfully educate voters and get them motivated to turn out next year, which they really, really want them to do, while at the same time saying, we got questions about the process, and if people don't trust it, they won't turn out, which is exactly counter to what the Democrats want. Donald Trump will be on the ballot. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, there will be no
2: problems getting people to the polls. And we don't quite know yet, but it looks like Stacey Abrams will be on the ballot somewhere as well. So I don't I don't think we'll have problems getting people out to the polls. But I do think that that voter integrity and being able to validate the results of those will continue to be an issue that
0: will continue to be discussed. Well, you know, Biden is, is our nominee and we have touch screens. I'm sure he will touch them himself for them. He's he's really good at that.
1: Moving on. The governor signed another bill, this one giving him the power and a lot of flexibility to design a federal waiver request to expand Medicaid, kind of. And it's ironic, Brian, that this happened after the state waited for years and years and years gambling that Obamacare would be completely thrown out, the state now finally, after passing on millions of millions of federal dollars, mm-hmm. puts together a waiver program just as President Trump doubles down on throwing out Obamacare completely, this time during uh, w-
0: using the courts. Yeah, but then, but then quickly we learned that was a bunch of gibberish. I mean, you know, I don't know how else to say it. Uh, I mean, he says a lot of things that you kind of have to wait a little bit to see how serious it is, see what the pushback is going to be. You know, obviously, cooler heads prevailed in Congress. Mitch McConnell was like, yeah, no, we're not doing that, you know, <laughs> because because yeah. at the at the end of the day, and I, I've said this on, the, on this podcast numerous times, and it's a great example of how I'm less uh, partisan ideologue than some people think I am. Republicans don't have a good message on health care. And part of that is even though the Democrats have a bad plan for health care, they have a, a plan, plan for exactly. health care. It's, it's a system that hasn't worked particularly great, but if we got rid of it, we have nothing that we can agree on on our side to replace it but with. But the
1: whole point is the Obamacare was a response to a system that is
0: broken. Yes, it, it was. And now we have a new system that is broken. That's what we've gotten. Now, granted, we also have covered more people, and that's mm-hmm. true. What the media doesn't talk about is we're also spending a lot more taxpayer dollars to do that. So there is a trade-off. But Brian Kemp's doing the right thing. I want to go back to the local level. I have said this to Governor Deal. I've said this to my former colleagues in the Deal administration, whom I love, and I think we did a great job as an administration. The one area where i wish governor deal who is one of the go- nation's foremost health care policy experts one area where i disagreed with him was on this i felt like given his expertise and his leadership ability and his political capital with the general assembly and the public he could have delivered a great waiver plan and it could be in place already it could have his fingerprints on it, it could be the nathan deal plan for georgia and he didn't and so i have I'm very proud of Governor Kemp, who ran as a very tough conservative, to come out in his first session. And almost with very little fanfare, very little pushback, got a significant reform. Is it full Medicaid? No. But we will cover 50 percent more of Georgia's uninsured population under this plan. That's huge progress. Let's celebrate it.
2: You know, first to go from a federal level, there was – Eight and a half million people up to somewhere near 11 million people that's actually signed up for the Affordable Care Act over the past year. It is a successful program that works and continues to work, even as President Trump stripped out funding for it to actually get the word out to, to market it. It still helps millions and millions of millions of people as Republicans have tried what seems like for a decade now <laughs> to repeatedly well, it is. strip it. No, it right? is a decade now. So the Republican messaging around health care is not lacking, it's terrible. It doesn't have no. We're good at being to... against it. We're good at that. Well, you're good at being against it, but as you said, not with a plan that's going to provide for anything. Where we still <laughs> know because that yeah, Republicans
1: can't of people... agree among themselves right. on yeah, it. Yeah, yeah you I, know...
0: mean, to me, I, I agree. I agree with you, man. I, Republicans have a responsibility to Americans, not to repeal and replace, but to replace and repeal. Find a way to cover people with affordable health care that need it,
2: and I'm all on board. Okay, now to bring it back to local in Georgia. Numbers don't lie, and when when you have numbers of people who support the expansion of Medicaid up to over 70% of the people across the state... Republicans have no doubt at that point in time. They know that they need to respond. I liken it somewhat to what the national Republicans did in this past election, when all of a sudden every Republican in the land is willing to support pre-existing conditions. Right? We support it. We support it. We support it only because now you know that majority of Americans say this is absolutely something that we we must keep and must have. They looked at polls. They have to. So oh, now, yes, the roof. if if you if you look at the local polls uh, here in the state of Georgia, where over seventy percent of the people say that we absolutely have this, it must be in place. Then at that point in time, the challenge for Republicans is what do we do and how do we do it? So we can't say we're expanding Medicaid. Let's call it something else
1: that's still going to be able to provide that gap. But is there a challenge for Democrats here since the governor has a lot of flexibility here to design things? He probably doesn't even have to go back to the legislature much. He's got carte blanche here. Do the Democrats just dig in and say, we'll fold our arms and do nothing unless you expand Medicaid, which he's not going to do? or do they get involved in the conversation with him and say, "Okay, we're not going to get everything we want, but here's what we really need from you." You know, Democrats are going to
2: work to find a solution to provide care for Georgians that need it. And it's as simple as that. So, stonewalling it isn't exactly a, you know, my idea of of what would work, but it has to be a way. Look, this is a democratic value that that we've ran on for years. And and the Republicans have a history kind of of taking those. And once the mood has shifted to go, oh, yeah, this is our idea and this is our plan. I don't think that's going to be successful. I think Democrats still have the leverage. And I only said it because Democrats
0: across the land have supported this. And I think voters know that and understand it. You want to know why we have a hard time messaging on this is because our truth is hard to put into a soundbite. And it is this. Republicans have represented the interest of people who are employed and get their private insurance through their employer. And their insurance is superior and pays better than Medicaid does. And there's a better insurance product than what you get on many of the plans on the exchange of Obamacare. Now, how do you say that? Because the truth is, these reforms that Democrats have imposed, what have they really done? They've offered these exchange plans that are extraordinarily expensive, But if people lose their private employer-provided health insurance, they're going to get a lesser product for more money on the exchange or get put on Medicaid if they're very low income. And that is part of the issue, is for people who are already insured, the reforms aren't better for you. So how do you message that? Until you lose your job or until your job gets shipped overseas. Absolutely. I'm with you, you, dude.
2: I'm with you. It it all sounds great for for those who are in, in privilege and have great jobs Great, great incentive plans, right? All those work great
0: until you lose that job, and then you're stuck with with, with COBRA, and and then ultimately nothing that you can afford. Let me tell you one thing that's really changed my opinion on it, and I don't know what the answer is. I would rather there be a Republican solution than a Democrat solution, but I am a small business owner who can't afford to provide health insurance to my employees. Or even to myself, you know, I would not be able to be in business if my wife did not have a job that provided our health insurance. That is a broken system that discourages entrepreneurship and inventiveness and opening up new businesses. There's got to be a better way. So
1: where does Brian Camp go? And we have to be real quick on this from both of you. Brian, I'll start with you. Where does he go in fashioning a waiver program that will pass muster with the feds and cover people?
0: It's going to be a little tricky at this juncture because recently a federal judge struck down the work requirements that you saw in Arkansas and in, I think, maybe Kentucky. Mm -hmm. And those requirements were salves that made the pill go down a little easier for conservatives. You can't argue that we're giving health insurance to people who refuse to work, et cetera. And I don't think that most people in the NPR listening audience in Atlanta or anywhere else really understand. I had, I didn't know this until I started working on these issues with the, the, the state of Georgia's Chamber of Commerce a few years ago, that the people who are on these Medicaid plans are desperately poor. I mean, they're hard to reach. They don't have email. They don't have phones. It's very difficult to service them. And some of them cannot pay $2 copays. They don't have $2 for a copay, which is another conservative reform that – somebody like Kemp would want, like, so that the patients aren't just getting a handout, that they have skin in the game. And those type things have been frowned upon by the feds. And I'm hoping the Trump administration will kind of go out on a limb and let us do some conservative reforms and just kind of be willing to take on the federal courts if we need to.
2: I want to say, Brian, first of all, thank you for acknowledging the truth that we know it is that there's an entire segment of people that I think are completely off the radar that we don't even acknowledge and that you know, getting to the doctor in the first place is a challenge, even if they did have health care. So there is a total segment of people that we need to reach and ensure that they have the coverage that they need. I think Democrats are going to stick to the basics of of human needs and what we have, and I think there is a conservative twist to this because we know that preventive medical care is the cheapest form of care that there is, and if we're waiting for people to fall over sick and reach stages of health care where they have to be admitted to hospitals and have lifelong leading drugs. In the long term, that is not the cheapest solution. So if you want to be conservative about it, give people health care when they need it, where they need it, and how they need it. And I think ultimately that's going to get us to where we need to be.
1: And, of course, there were the bills that didn't make it. The biggest one, the quote-unquote airport takeover bill, which went through a lot of changes before not getting passed. We'll be back with that and more on The Political Breakfast. Stay right here. We are back on the political breakfast. Good to have you with us. I'm Dennis O'Hare. Joining us this time, Republican strategist Brian Robinson and Michael Owens filling in for Theron Johnson. Michael Owens is the immediate past chairman of the Cobb County Democrats. Okay, bill that didn't make it. It got folded, spindled, and mutilated into many forms. The airport takeover bill. We'll put that in quotes because it Went through lots of different variations in terms of what it would require. But in the end, Hartsfield-Jackson International Airport, at least for the rest of this year, Michael Owens remains under the control of the city of Atlanta. But does that end the drive to have some sort of either state oversight or a state takeover?
2: No, it does not end. However, the responsibility and due diligence of the management is with the city of Atlanta, where I feel it should be first and foremost. First of all, I think we're all lucky to have the world's busiest airport here in Atlanta. And I think it is a well-run, very efficient entity for the size and, and amount of cargo and people that it moves around. So I think that's the first hurdle, hurdle that we face when looking at any type of takeover. The, the question is why? It, what systemic issues are we having? But on the other hand, I know that there are still investigations that are going on right mm-hmm. now, and, and that could cause this to come back up next session. So and, I
1: wouldn't say it's completely dead. And corruption was the argument at the heart of the sponsors of the original full takeover plan. Meanwhile, Mayor Bottoms has vetoed a city council resolution asking for an investigation of how some of her campaign staffers got city jobs before she was actually mayor. One of them involved the airport. One so of them it did. keeps the whole thing alive, doesn't it? One of them did.
2: And I think it hurts definitely the fact that when you when you look at this beside each other, you go, well, wait a minute. As Gray's Airport's been ran and all the efficiencies and everything, it gets back to the heart of And this isn't new, unfortunately, for the city of Atlanta and City Hall. Right. I mean, it's, it's
1: <laughs> it, no, it's which a, is actually, oddly enough, been an it, been an argument against the bill. It's like, why come at it with the corruption argument now <laughs> it's, <you laughs> when know, it's
2: been an issue
1: for years? It, it's.
2: Yeah, you know, it's, it, that's a tough one. It's an ironic one. But, but I think it does open the door when looking at not takeover, but an independent commission or some oversight or something. But you really have to look at that as what do you gain from that, right? And how is it structured? How is it architected so it could be a value that's going to be separate and distinct from the city or city council or the mayor's office? There are proponents out there going, look, this should not be just anything that could be manipulated by the stroke of a mayor's pen. And there's, there's some value there, and I, I understand that. But the question is, what would this commission look like, and what would the oversight be, and what does the Georgia
0: legislature have to do with that? On the question of is this coming back, most certainly the Senate is pretty determined mm-hmm. on this. They feel pretty strong in their position. But
1: things on... got complicated in the House, didn't they? Very complicated.
0: Yeah, yeah, they, they did, and uh, it's one of those... Issues where Governor Kemp did weigh in and came out very strongly uh, for two things, the jet fuel tax exemption and uh, to sort of sideline the the state takeover. I think that what the House tried to do was thread the needle to mm-hmm. some degree by having this oversight to do what I had been saying on this podcast, which was acutely address the underlying issue of corruption by putting a watchdog agency type Uh, situation in. I don't think that if the bill were to land on the governor's desk next year, the takeover bill, that he would sign it. I think it would still have a problem getting through the House as it currently is situated. And I think this is going to be one that we continue to have some debate on.
1: A couple of other bills that did not make it, but that doesn't mean they're gone because we have a two-year session and this is just year one. I'll have to remember that. Casinos, a hate crimes bill, The bill to require that fees collected for a dedicated purpose by the state actually go to the purpose for which they're collected. Which I'd like to
0: address that, you know, remind me. Yeah, okay. A ban
1: on booting, uh, a bill to ban people convicted of domestic abuse from owning guns, and a bill to protect health consumers from surprise hospital bills that suddenly aren't covered by your insurance when you thought they would be. All of those are just percolating as we head into an election year in 2020. Brian, any of those that you think may come back seriously? Certainly the casinos would be one, but you wanted to talk about the fee diversion ban.
0: (laughs) Right. This is a pet project of the... House Ways and Means Committee Chairman Jay Powell of Camilla. Uh, It's something they bring up a lot and vote on and then dodge in the Senate. Here's the issue with it. It it sounds perfectly common sense, right? It sounds like something we would all be for. You know, the tire disposal fee Mm -hmm. should go toward cleaning up all those tire dumps, cleaning up dumps. And guess what happened during the recession when we were cutting school days? Instead of cleaning up tire dumps, We put some of that money towards shoring up schools and making sure that there was gas in school buses and that we didn't have to furlough state troopers. So that's the danger is that we're not always going to have 4% unemployment. We're going to have days and years, maybe more than that, where we have got to prioritize spending and do the things that are more important for the people of Georgia than cleaning up tire dumps. Not that that's not important, but it's less important than making sure kids have a school lunch, right? That's the issue. I would talk about probably the casinos, which I don't think is dead. And I think it's
2: I definitely think it's coming back. And I know that governor basically still says he's a staunch opponent of it. Right. He's not in favor. No, of yeah, it.
0: No, no, yeah. However,
2: he, he did say that he felt ultimately that it was up to the voters exactly. right? and put it on the ballot and let the voters decide. That's right. So I don't think he's changed his tune on that. And I, one thing that I did not notice in the uh, I just found out just a couple of days ago in the new Mercedes Benz Stadium, there is a Harris restaurant that is in there. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that. I didn't find out until the day. I actually got invited to a meeting, and I was like, where are we meeting at? And there's like, oh, Harris Casino. And I was like, we're going to Murphy or Cherokee, <laughs> North Carolina? And they were like, no, it's in Mercedes-Benz Stadium. And uh, so there is a partnership that has been formed between Mercedes-Benz and Harrah's uh, to allow them to have I don't know, 6,000 feet of space inside the Mercedes-Benz Stadium. And that, to me alone, the first thing I thought about was, hmm, you know, uh, th- this is kind of seasoning the pot, if you will, bringing Harris in a non casino type mm-hmm. environment, but obviously bringing them to the Mercedes-Benz Stadium, one of the big, largest venues in the state,
1: right? Where, where a lot of people go, and they would be very well connected. Exactly. As Arsenio yeah. Hall would say, things that make you go... Hmm, exactly. That's that's quite a dated reference there. um,
0: Look it up. uh, (laughs) No, I remember. I'm I'm old enough to remember that. The gambling issue is one that has made significant progress in this past session, even though it failed because a horse racing bill that would allow for mutual betting on horses actually advanced through committee. Mm-hmm. This year, which is a huge step for that issue and pretended well for the future. And, of course, there's now a study committee that's been put together. I yes the dreaded study committee. Now, look, I, I'm a believer <laughs> in the study committee because you get buy-in from the members on it. And they get out around the state, hopefully, and see different communities. And that often can move the needle a little bit. I saw it happen on numerous issues over the last decade. So I think we might see some really interesting movement on gambling issues next year, whether that's going to be horse racing, whether it's going to be casinos and how that's how that breaks out as far as how many there will be, who gets the contract. There's a lot to determine there. But Brian Kemp has said, hey, I'm not going to get in the way of this, which is his way of saying he's going to stay on the sideline. He doesn't have to sign a constitutional amendment. Right. So it's, it's got important. to get a two-thirds vote in both houses, which is a huge that's threshold a big hurdle. to cross. And that's why we don't have it is because the threshold is so big. If It was just majority vote. I think we might have it by now. Where the governor would play a role is in the implementation legislation, which he would be smart to say, let me see what the voters say. Mm -hmm. If they approve voting, then I'll sign implementing legislation. And Michael
1: Owens, by the time that happens, it might depend on who the governor is. It could
2: depend on who the governor is, but I think Brian Kemp is, is playing this very safe because this way he can still say... I'm not for it, I'm fundamentally against this, because he knows that he doesn't have to sign it if it's a constitutional amendment. So it gives him the leeway to say, nope, I'm really against this, but if this is what the people want, we'll do it. One of the key aspects I think that this is, though, is going to be um, the ability of gambling to shore up the Hope Scholarship Fund, right? And I think whatever way this goes, and the you think it would have to be that, tied to that? Say again? It would it have helps. to be tied to that. I, I think it's a fundamental aspect that's gonna to have to be tied to it in order for it to pass.
1: We have just a couple of minutes here. I want to go very quickly, as long as we have Michael Owens here, to some Cobb County stuff. The commission chairman, Mike Boyce, just said recently the millage rate in Cobb County will not be going up, but it won't be rolled back either. New numbers show that the Braves' revenue from the new stadium continues to rise. The county, though, still paying for what it kicked in for the Braves' stadium. A lot of voters not happy with that. And... Lisa Cupid, Cobb County District Commissioner, has announced she's going to run for commission chair, an African-American woman. All of these things together makes Cobb County politics really interesting, Michael, just as you're leaving the Cobb County Democrats. <laughs> as if it
2: hadn't been before. I, I think uh, you know Cobb County has been one of the most, uh, I think, dynamic counties when it comes to politics for quite some time. And, mm-hmm. and I think it's just came back to the forefront over the last several years. I've, first of all, have been... Honored, proud, and just elated to be the chair of the Democratic Party in Cobb County over the last several years when it seems we've really gotten our legs and, and really kind of turned things around. But yes, I support Lisa Keepit. I think she's a fantastic person and woman. But it is a very interesting time in Cobb. I think, you know, from the Braves standpoint, six point five million dollars is what the Braves have been able to put into our local schools. Mm-hmm. And I and I think that is a, a positive I would think we're going to see more. Is I it like worth the what the county
1: is having to continue to pay? That has been the issue from the beginning.
2: And and that will continue to be an issue that, you know, from the very first MOU that was put in place. Memorandum of Understanding. Memorandum of Understanding. It has been a contentious issue around what the taxpayers of Cobb County ultimately what, what penalty tax are we paying for the Braves to be able to come in a multi billion dollar organization who probably doesn't need any of our money to be able to do do the things they do and so with any good public private partnership the the devil's in the details and six point five million dollars is a lot of money into our schools, but I think that could easily be doubled or tripled. how um, do you do that though? Through, how do we do that? I think, you know, public consensus around this Look, let's remember, the reason Mike Boyce is even in this discussion is because he won an election because the voters of Cobb County, Republican as well as some Democrats, decided that former chair Tim Lee, uh, because of this deal that he struck with the Braves, needed to go. Mm-hmm. And so
1: now well, transparency my transparency was the issue, too, not just what was in the deal, but transparency was part of that. Transparency issue. where they felt like to make this deal happen,
2: it had to happen very, very quickly. I'm not opposed to that line of thought. I think you can bring some transparency, and bring other people in. I think part of the problem was. Even there were even members of the Board of Commissioners who said they were not up to speed, didn't know. I mean, so bringing it to a full public display and launching a st- study <laughs> committee on whether it should be done or not, I don't believe the Braves would be in Cobb County now at all. I think that the City of Atlanta probably could have put together a package and Cassim we could have got the work to make sure the Braves actually stayed in Atlanta. Look, I am a fan of having the Braves in Cobb County. I think it does a lot to our county as far as the economic development and the stimulus, and it kind of helps to continue to define Cobb County as one of the jewels of this state, so I'm, I'm in support of it, but I think we have to find a way to continue to strengthen that public-private partnership to make sure that public part is just as beneficial as that private part.
0: I'm a huge fan of Tim Lee. I think he's a great American, and he did a great job leading Cobb County, and he delivered for them a project of generational significance that changed the Cobb County's uh, reputation and the face of Cobb County in many ways. And those people who came out against Tim Lee and said, well, you know, I, I like that we have the battery. I like that we have the brakes, but I don't like how Tim Lee did this. I got a message for you. Without how Tim Lee did this, none of that exists. It is still an empty plot of land or maybe has a high rise on it of some of some sort. It's got a parking deck beside it. You talk to anybody in Cobb County. If you are coming from the city of Atlanta and you say, you want to get lunch? like Yeah, you want to go to the Battery? It is like the de facto gathering spot of the county now. There needs to be a statue of Tim Lee erected there. There needs to be a public apology to Tim Lee for the way he was beat up over this, the way he was lied about. This whole transparency thing is a ruse. It was done the way every economic development deal is done. It can't all be in the light of day. Corporations don't work like that. The other option was to not get SunTrust and the Braves. Tim did what you had to do, and he should—he he deserves an apology. For As a training.
1: Braves fan who has tried to get to that stadium, and I used to be able to just take Marta to Turner Field, it would be really nice if the parking were a little closer. And you're going to have cheaper. to
2: walk <laughs> that too. No, no. Well, that's not a county's let me, decision. Let me tell yeah. you, Brian, why you need to hold off on smelting that bronze for that for that statue for Tim Lee. He's it, to because <laughs> he's the, 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 the flip side of it is that Tim Lee artificially held property taxes artificially low for years and years as, as a Republican conservative ideal that he could run on and won on that, that unfortunately came down to someone had to pay the Pied Piper at the end of the day, and, and, and it happened to be Mike Boyce. So, you know, you, you can praise Tim Lee on one hand, but he actually turned around, and all he did was kick the can down the road, where unfortunately, there were some Republicans at the end of the day that had to make some really harsh decisions about the future of Cobb County being 40 to $50 million in a hole. And I will
1: say Sympathy for a Republican commission chair? I simply call the facts as they are. (laughs) And and so before we erect that statue, statue,
2: there's a reason of of, of how that happened and came to pass. And unfortunately, yes, it did. It put a commission chair in a very tough situation. And it also sent one county commission uh, member packing. Bob Weatherford is Mm -hmm. no longer a county commissioner because he ultimately had to vote for increasing the millage rate because you know why he wanted to do the best thing for the citizens of Cobb County, and that's what ultimately had to be done.
1: And that's it for this week's Political Breakfast. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm Dennis O'Hare. Brian Robinson is a Republican strategist, communications consultant, and former deputy chief of staff to former Governor Nathan Deal. Michael Owens is with us this week. He is the immediate past chairman of the Cobb County Democrats, who is filling in for Theron Johnson, who had the week off. Thanks so much to you both. Can you play us out
0: with that master's music? (laughs)
1: Happy Masters (laughs)
0: Week, Georgia Great being here, Dennis I always appreciate the opportunity
1: And if you like this show Subscribe, and you can do that Wherever you get your podcasts And be sure to rate us That is a great way to make sure Other people can find us We'll be back in your feed And in your head soon With some more nourishing Political conversation Be sure to join us
0: Sounds Like ATL is a music documentary series that takes an in-depth look at the artists amplifying Atlanta's famed music community. Built around a desire to highlight Atlanta's diverse and world-renowned music scene, each episode features unforgettable, intimate musical performances by fresh new musical guests, each with exclusive interviews about the stories behind their music. Listen at WABE.org or wherever you find your podcasts.